Hello, everybody, and welcome to this week's episode of Expeditions on the Engaging Faith podcast. I'm your host, Charles Frame, and we're going to finish up Revelation chapter 5, verses 7 through 14. We've been exploring this whole betrothal process over the previous several weeks, and we're talking about this mysterious scroll and the one who is worthy, the lamb that was slain. So without any further waiting, we're going to jump right into this week's lesson. So last week, uh, we left off at Revelation uh, chapter 5, verses 7 through 10. We're going to expand it, and we're going to finish up this chapter as we finish this discussion about the worship of the Lamb, which is what we see happening in, in, at this point in Scripture. So Rick, if you would, go ahead and read Revelation chapter 5, verse 7 through 13. Okay. He came and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne, and when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb. Each one had a harp, and they were holding holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, because you were slain, and with your blood you purchased men for God, from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests, serve our God and they will reign on the earth. Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands and ten thousand times ten thousand. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. In a loud voice they sang, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is and all that is in them singing to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb to be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever amen. amen so we have this very worshipful scene and like we we talked about last week all of a sudden the lamb is there and and where there's this expectation for the lion of judah there's a lamb and the lamb appears to have been slain and this lamb doesn't look like a normal lamb right <laughs> we talked about here this lamb has the seven eyes and seven horns and and appears to have been slain and every everybody in heaven begins to just worship the lamb and we know that this lamb there's this expectation on the Israelite side of this warrior king who's going to come and, and lift them up into into their uh, uh, rightful place of ruling the nations. That was the expectation of the Israelite. And, and as a result, they stumbled, right? When Jesus was here, when he was incarnate and he was here in his ministry on earth, they stumbled. They didn't see that he was a Christ. They didn't accept it. The story doesn't end there. Although... Uh, Many believers think that it does for the Israelite, and we'll talk about that in a second in, a, in many ways, but the story doesn't stop there, right? And, and so we see this great celebration, this great time of worship in heaven, and these songs that are being sung. I need someone to go back to Revelation chapter 4, verse 11. You got that, Stephanie? Go ahead and read that. You were worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. Here's the song that 
was being sung, right? And this is an old song, and, it, and, and we don't want to lose sight of this. I mean, the story of the gospel, the story of Jesus, the story of God from before the creation all the way to, to this time and, and what we're seeing, not only in this time, but what we see in Revelation in the very end, this story is being told, and it's even told in the structure of how Revelation, this prophecy, is being given these hints, these clues, these places that we need to look at. And so Revelation 4.11, this old song is being sung right here. And it's the song of Moses, the song in Exodus chapter 15, that's talking about and lifting up and extolling and glorifying what God had done, the works that God had done in Genesis 1.1, right? That God began to create. It's a celebration that God is the creator of all the universe, that God is the creator of all that we see and of all of humanity, and that God is to be glorified, and that God has provided a way of redemption. And, and that way of redemption to the Israelite was different from what we know today. Not because it actually was different for them, right? But because they didn't see it all for what it was. And they were called into something as a nation. And, it, and that something was a nation of priests. And we'll talk about that a little bit more. But this is the song that they sang, the song of Moses. And it's a song that's being sung and celebrated in heaven. But now there's a new song. And that's what we're seeing right here in chapter 5 in this, this scene of the Lamb. That this great grief that John had because the, the groom didn't appear to be in heaven. And, and we've already discussed that. But he wasn't there, and all of a sudden now the lamb is there. And, and you know, well, I won't go back over that, but the, the lamb is there. And now, man, this grief just dissipates. It goes away. And great joy and this great celebratory scene uh, takes place in this great worship. And, and the elders cast their crowns, and they cast the bowls, and these bowls that are, or, or they have the bowls and the harps, and these bowls are full of what? Man, the prayers of the saints. And we already know this, this lamb has seven horns on his head. Man, this, this sevens keep showing up, horns keep showing up, bowls keep showing up, because we're, we're about to start breaking seals. So next week we're going to start getting into the seals. And remember, when we get there... <coughs> My voice cracks. You know. <laughs> as, as we get there, this is where we're going to start diverging majorly in the different positions of, of interpreting Revelation. Okay, But right now, everybody's pretty much on the same page. But this new song is being sung. And, and this song, this is the song of redemption. This is the song of the Lamb. This is the song... Of, of, of Christ and the work that he's done redeeming the world and redeeming uh, his people to himself. And not just the people of Israel, but redeeming you and I, the Gentile nations. The thing that was always the plan, always the plan. It wasn't just, you know, oh, plan B. Here things didn't quite work out with Israel. And I say that because there are people who utilize that language. And, and when you read it or you listen to them, you'll almost think, wow, so God didn't know, right? We talked a little bit about open theism, not a lot. But this idea that God didn't know and he laid these things out and Israel rebelled against God, which they did. We know all that's true. But that somehow, well, that was plan A and plan A didn't work out. And really, I mean, come on, plan A was really Adam and Eve in the garden, right? So, I mean, really, let's step back a minute. Plan A was that? Well, that didn't quite work out. 
So now I got to go to plan B. Well, what was plan B? Well, let's just wipe it all out and start over again with Noah and his family. Well, that didn't quite work out because then we got to the Tower of Babel event, right? And now we have the separation. So now what was plan C? Was plan C Moses? You know, was plan C Abraham and, and his descendants? Or were we in plan C? And oh, well, hey, they weren't quite the nation of priests and, and doing all the things that they were supposed to do. So now are we on plan D? I mean, is that where we're at? At least. <laughs> at least. I don't think so. As a matter of fact, that's not scriptural, is it? It's not scriptural at all. Man, this is the plan since, the, since before the foundations of the world, since before creation. And these songs are songs that are elevating that. That God is all-powerful and all-knowing. And he's the creator of, of, of time and space and, and universe and creation and you and I. And that God, God in his sovereignty knows and his great love and compassion reveals itself in whom he provided. In his new redemptive acts of, of, of Christ Jesus and what he's done in establishing this new covenant with us. And this is being celebrated in heaven to the point that the elders do what? Man, they just, exactly, they just cast their crowns at the feet of God, of Christ. And so now that kind of begins to bring us into this idea even more deeply about kings and priests. I mean, we know that Jesus is a king and a priest, right? So how are we going to be kings and priests? He's the king. He's the priest. I mean, you and I can't save anybody, right? But yet he's called us kings and priests reigning on the earth. What does that mean to you guys? This is the conversation time, right? <laughs> Right, so this millennial question. That seems to be pretty natural. And this is one of this is that that specific language, reigning on the earth, right? That seems to be pretty point blank. And it is a part of scripture that gets into this whole millennial discussion that we'll get into deeply uh, when we get to chapters, you know, 19, 20, 21, right in there. But it kind of hints to that, that we're going to reign on earth. Well, what do you think? Do, do you think that's the case? Do you think there's an alternative way to look at this? That's what I think, but then I don't know why he let Satan out. Unchained after a thousand years. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, what really, what's the purpose of that? I mean, yeah. Satan... You know, they've, he's been at it. I mean, why even have a thousand years where there are people who are born and living who never, ever experience sin? I mean, what's the reason? Why? Unless we live a thousand years. Well, yeah, maybe we live a thousand years. So maybe it's the people, the people who are already sinners, who've already experienced that, and now they get to live a thousand years and not... And see what uh, a kingdom reign is. This a last ditch effort to draw in those who are still on the fence? Is that what it is? Or could he be giving Satan a second chance? 
<laughs> well, we know Jesus said, well, there are some, hey, we laugh, but the reality is there are some people out on the fringes, and Charlie, I know you're not on the fringes, <laughs> but are, that are out there that kind of think, hey, well, even angels are going to get a second chance. But yet Jesus said he didn't come for the angels, right? We've already read that passage of Scripture, that Jesus didn't come for them. He didn't come to save them. And it kind of makes sense for us, right? I mean, they've lived in heaven. They've already experienced all. They were there watching the creation, right? They, they already know, and they've refused. They've rejected. And this concept of rejection... We can't lose sight of that, right? So here's another thing that I want to encourage you with. This little, really brief exercise of thinking about, well, what could this mean and are, are there alternatives? Recognize there is absolutely nothing wrong with having these kinds of thoughts about, well, what does it mean, right? No matter how far out there it may seem. And, and some believers are afraid to hold a position and think a certain way and share it with other believers because they don't want to be ostracized or looked at like, man, are you some kind of heretic? When the reality is, no, I'm working out my salvation. Well, and I think, too, if you go back to Old Testament and you think of when kings and priests were made you know, and were determined, kings were there to place judgment you know, mm -hmm. there was, and so kind of makes you wonder if that person is there to judge. To maintain, like, civil kind of order. Civil, and, right. right. Because, you know, back then they didn't have, like, we have the court system where we have a judge that does that. You know, they put the kings. They rule. You know, there was a place that they had to go if they sinned and made a mistake. They had to be kind of separated, mm -hmm. you know. So, I don't know. It just kind of makes me think of that, and along with, like, the Levites. When you think of the Levites and how they were to be priests and to do all the laws but now we don't have you know we don't have to follow those laws anymore because of Jesus but is that a way for them to spread the word because like you said if, there, if that person is a sinner and he sees and he's reconciled with the Lord maybe that's his way of spreading the good news to those that are going through everything right you know during that time I don't know so kings and priests rulers and priests in the, in the temple. Well, we are children of God also. So that puts us in that... The royal family. The royal family. So kings, and then you've got your priest, who, like she said, knows the laws and, and helps. I don't know, it's just... But I've always felt like once you became a Christian... Well, we're all made in God's image. But once we became a Christian, it put us into that bracket. So, so the, the point again is if we just stop for a minute and we, we don't just gloss over these passages because we're reading through Revelation and now kings and priests on the earth and keep on going, and we get outside of just a really established, oh, I think this is what it means because... You know, this is the filter I'm in. And we begin to think. Lots of questions start bubbling up, don't they? And being priests, okay, is the mission of giving people a chance to make a decision to accept Jesus. Sure. 
So that's a priesthood too. So we are both. Well, kind of. But what, so, and we'll move on. No, that's you keep thinking like that because we're going to talk about this a little more in depth when we get into the millennial reign. Okay, go ahead, Rick. Yeah, I just uh, during the millennial reign is that also a time whenever uh, sacrifices start back up? Man, we're gonna we're gonna talk about that. You know, I struggle with that too. Yeah, it's doesn't make sense, does it? But. Uh, Wait a minute, what'd you say? A new earth has been redeemed. There's a new earth. Does when we read this verse right here, does it distinguish which earth it's talking about? It doesn't, does it? All it says is that we're gonna be kings and priests on the earth, reigning on the earth. Well, if the whole goal, what were we supposed to do in the garden? We were supposed to take dominion of the of the earth, right? We were supposed to reign, and we didn't. We gave it away. And what's what is one of the goals? What is one of the not goals? What's one of the purpose? A goal it implies that you may not reach it, right? It's a goal out there. Maybe I'll hit it. Maybe I won't. God is going to hit His purposes. So God's purpose is to redeem the earth and redeem His creation and redeem you and I just like it was meant to be from the very beginning. And you and I would reign on the earth. So there's no distinguish. This could very well be, and when we get into the whole millennial discussion, I think this has to be taken into account. This could very well be the new earth. In other words, you have purposes because we're before the king. Who's the, I mean, when we're there with God, there's no need of a temple anymore, Right? There's no hope because he's with us. He resides with us in proximity. I mean, just like, you know, just like Lane is right there. I'm, I'm going to be able to be face to face with God, the creator of the universe, living with him, reigning with him. So to me, don't just jump right on the bandwagon that this means it's the 1,000 year reign. And if you stay in a filter, if you stay in a filter in popular theology, and some of the positions of interpreting scripture, you're going to easily just stay right there. And you're going to think, well, this can only be talking about the thousand-year reign. Really? Okay. <laughs> yeah. So that gives you a little things to toss around and think about. But somebody go grab Exodus 19, uh, 5 through 6. So we're, we're, going to, we're going to talk, we're going to delve more into this kings and priests because we're told right here in chapter 5 that that's what we are. And we've got a function as a king and priest. So, Stephanie, to your point, I mean, what's a king do? A king rules. Well, I mean, if you're going to rule, naturally you're making judgments. But does that mean the judgments that we're thinking about, that we would naturally think of? Is it talking about legal structure? Well, some of this we have to just step back and say, we have no idea and we won't know until we're actually there doing it. Right? Anything that we're thinking about beyond that is more subjective. So somebody grab Exodus chapter 19, verse 5 and 6. Got you got that line? Go ahead. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. Mm. So right here in Exodus, 
Okay, and this is this is this is uh, this is very profound, right? This is the purpose of the Israelite people. There to be a kingdom of what? Who's the king in their kingdom? Man, it was God. Mine says, listen to this. Mine yeah. says, now if you listen to me and carefully keep my covenant. So that tells me right there that you there's a lots of things that could happen in that time. I could fall, you could fall. You Conditional. Could yeah. Read that again. Now if you listen to me and carefully keep my covenant, you will be my own possession out of the people. Well, so what does that mean? If you don't? Yeah, what happens if you don't? Yeah. Or you're not careful. If you don't, if you're not careful, then what? Well, we we take that, and that we'll we'll get into this a little bit here shortly, but we take that. That's a key passage right there. That is a key passage of scripture. Okay? That's how you end up with only two percent religious in Israel. That's right. Yeah. Is that also true of, of Gentiles? Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Not everybody's gonna believe. Not everybody's gonna follow after Christ the Messiah. Well, Christ is Messiah. Let me back up. His last name wasn't Christ. Okay, after Jesus the Messiah, Jesus the Christ. Okay. So Exodus, this this parallels. Many say this is part of paralleling with what's gone on here. And you'll stop and say, Well, how's that the case? You know, how how is that? What, how can this parallel? Well, we've got this new song, this new redemption, this new creation. And it is a new creating work, by the way, that Jesus has done with the new covenant. So Israel is supposed to be a kingdom of priests. And these everybody, that means every Israelite is a priest in God's kingdom. And a priest has a function. And their function was to be the light to the world. To, to be declaring the kingdom purposes of God to the nations, to the Gentile nations. They were supposed to be a reflection of this is what it looks like to have God as your king and, to, and, and for you as a people to belong to him. And he wants you to belong to him with us. That's what they were supposed to be doing, and they didn't. And they didn't. And God in multiple places over and over made it very, very clear. If you do this, then I will do this. If you don't do this, then this is what I'm going to do. All over the Old Testament, we know Israel failed over and over. Israel turned their backs. Many Israelites. So when I say Israel, I'm talking nationally. That doesn't mean every single Israelite, right? Individually. Here we go, right? Individualism, collectivism. There's always going to be a remnant, right? Man, they turned their back on God, and they started to worship idols in the Baals. They started to sacrifice their kids and throw them into the fire. Man, it didn't take long, right? What were they doing when Moses, who's up there with God, and the Israelites knew they were so afraid they wouldn't go up with him. <laughs> and, and, and here all this is happening and because it's taking too long. I didn't get my cheeseburger fast enough, right? What do they do? They figure, hey, it's taking you awfully long. I guess we'll go ahead and 
Yeah, we'll we'll make our own God again. We'll go back to what we do and we'll worship another God. And if they saw it, they saw the miracles happening yeah. right there in front of them. In front of them. And still turned. Exactly. So what are we? We're talking we, visual. They saw it, didn't they? Every now, what's going to happen? Exactly. That's crazy. I mean, that's kind of goosebumpy stuff yeah. when you think about it. I mean, here, God, they're seeing it. This is visual. Man, they're experiencing, they're hearing, they're seeing, and, and they're like terrified. We don't even want to go on the mountain. We don't just go and represent us. <laughs> right? And they still, right there, they don't even wait. It's not like, oh, you know what? We don't believe anymore. We're going to leave and go do this. They do it right there. That's crazy. The priesthood has changed. Clearly, right? I mean, we begin to see it right here. We don't begin. We see it in the New Testament. The priesthood has changed. Be exactly for what Jeff pointed out. The priesthood has changed. But we also know this wasn't plan D. We know that God knew in his foreknowledge, he predetermined here we go with that predestination language, right? He predetermined before the foundations of the world, before creation, that this would be. And it's because we have free will. Oh my gosh, how do you have predestination and free will all at the same time? How does that work, right? We have free will. God foreknew, right? I mean, you got to kind of, he's not in time and space, he's outside of it, so it kind of makes sense that he might actually know what Eric will do. Doesn't mean he causes Eric to do it, but he knows, hey, you know, Eric's going to accept me. He's going to give his heart to me at this point in his life because of all the things that I'm doing because I want Eric and I want, I want Joe Bob who's not going to give his life to me. But I still want him. I love him. That's not what I want for him. I want him to turn away from death to life. I don't want him to keep sinning. I want him to come into my, into my, my loving arms and, and, and accept me. And I'm going to do everything because I'm going to leave the 99 to go after the one. And, and now all of a sudden, that makes some, some vessels are made for honor and some vessels are made for wrath, right? If God knows what Joe Bob's going to not do, no matter what he does, but he chooses to create him anyway, then he's just made a vessel for wrath. A vessel that he loves and cares about and knows is not going to choose him and is going to wind up in hell for eternity. But that love compelled him because of who he is to create him anyway. Because after all, how do you have free will if you don't have the ability to make a choice? How, is, how can you have real love if you can't choose to love or choose not to? So if I deny, because some people will say, well, why create him? If you know he's not going to choose you, he's going to spend eternity in hell, why create him anyway? Well, if I choose not to create him because of that, I've never allowed him the ability to choose to love me. And that's not God. Okay? Hey, Chuck. Yeah? You know, we pick on the Israelites a lot for being blind, I guess, but when the false prophet comes... Are we going to have people doing the same thing? Yes. So, what? I mean, you know, back in those days, I mean, priests were doing miracles and, I don't say miracles, but they were doing stuff that astonished people even then. So I think, you know, they were, they were saying, well, your God's better than my God. 
I think they were following gods all over the place. I mean, I know some of those guys were probably just saying, oh, crap, we've lost his God, so let's go to this God. They were just jumping from God to God, not knowing they had the real the real God. Some, some of that was happening. I think they were just blind, and I think we're going to, if we're not careful, we're going to have people in this. We are. And, and they're just going to follow the wrong God. We are. And and because and because of that, that makes Hebrews a tough book to read. And I back to your point, Eric. I think we follow the wrong God in many cases today, and think we're following think, God. Yeah. I mean, you know, just like you're saying. I don't mean necessarily us that are. Well, I, I, I think about a lot of the the uh, TV ministries and right. things of that sort. Right. And they're they're putting out a, a false God. They're putting out a false God. Prosperity gospel. Right. That's dangerous. Hey, it's heating up, guys. It's it's. it's I mean, and and that's why we're we're we called to right be here. priests, royal priests, right? Here. Because your life, Nolene's life, the things that she says, the things that she does, she's an ambassador for Christ. Do all things as unto the Lord. All things, not some things, not just this over here on Sunday or Wednesday. Do all things. This is what we're called to as believers. Do all things. Your job your friendships, your relationships, your communication, the way you raise your kids, you know, the fellowship you have with other people. Do all things. When you create stuff, whatever, all things as unto the Lord and not unto men. Live in the spirit, not in the flesh. Right? Because you're an ambassador. You are a priest in the kingdom of God. And your life is a translation of the gospel message, and then speak the gospel, share the gospel, right? To draw men to God, because we're told that God's calling on mankind, that God calls them and draws them through his word, through the gospel. That's how he calls them. It's through the gospel, through you living it out. That's what it means to be a priest in God's kingdom today. And we're all called to it, just like every Israelite was called to it. Somebody grab, we got, we've got quite a few verses to read. So somebody grab Hebrews chapter 7, verses 11 through 17. Who's got that? You got that, Stephanie? Somebody grab Hebrews chapter 8, verse 13. You got that, Jeff? Somebody go grab 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14 through 21. You got that, Lane? All right. The priesthood has changed. You and I are the kingdom of priests, right? So go ahead. Hebrews 7, chapter 11 through 17. Therefore, if perfection were through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need was there that another priest should rise according to the order of Melchizedek and not be called according to the order of Aaron? For the priesthood being changed of necessity, there is also a change of the law. For he of whom these things are spoken belongs to another tribe, from which no man has officiated at the altar. For it is evident that our Lord arose from Judah, of which tribe Moses spoke nothing concerning priesthood. And it is yet far more evident if, in the likeliness of Melchizedek, there arises another priest who has come not according to the law of fleshly commandment, but according to the power of an endless life. 
for he testifies. <laughs> the order, right there, that's as plain as day. Jesus Christ was not from the Levitical line. He wasn't from the tribe of Levi, was he? And here's a little bit less. It sure. Says, for he testifies, you are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. And that's important. Mm -hmm. Who's testifying? If you cross-reference that, God. <laughs> God is the one who's testified, who has proclaimed that Jesus is a priest after the order of Melchizedek, a priest forever. The priesthood in the Levite priesthood was made a priest by the proclamation of, of God to Moses telling him that, that the priesthood would only come out of the Levite priest according to the law I'm giving you. So it's the law. It's the requirements of the law and the regulations laid down by Moses through God that made a priest only able to come from a lineage the lineage of the Levite. But God proclaimed directly, this new priesthood is Jesus after the order of Melchizedek. And the fact that his life is eternal is the final stamp for you and I to know. Because what did Paul say? If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then what does Paul say about our faith? It's, it's <laughs> worthless. If he, didn't, if he didn't rise from the dead, it's worthless. That, that resurrection is the final proof. It's the proclamation of his priesthood forever. Hebrews 8.13 By saying a new covenant, he has declared that the first is old. And what is old is aging and is about to disappear. Man, what is old is aging and is about to disappear. Hmm. Doesn't say it disappeared, Right? It says it's about to disappear. Okay? A lot of interesting discussion around that. But go to 2 Corinthians 5, 14 through 21. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do not; we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The new creation. The old has gone, the new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. <laughs> Man, that, uh, here we are. There's a new, we'll, we'll see you now. There's a new creation. It's when we give our life to Christ, we're a new creation. And he's reconciling everybody. That includes the Jew. As a matter of fact, it says that Jesus came. The gospel was given to the Jew first. It was given to the Jew first. Okay, And there's a reason for that too. Multiple reasons for that. But as a new creation in Christ, we are the new priesthood. We're the ambassadors. We're the royal priests. Well, who's we? That's the big question, because when I say we, what do we think? Yeah, 
Yeah, Christians, Gentiles who, who believe, because the Jews didn't believe. Well, this is important because this discussion brings up this issue known as replacement theology. Does the church replace Israel? Well, in dispensational theology that links itself with futurism, the answer is yes. It replaces Israel. And where are the two olive trees? Yeah. Why are they separated and come back together? Yeah. Exactly. So if we just accept that line of thinking, and listen, this is a very basic explanation, okay? Somebody go grab 1 Peter 2, 1 through 11. Let's read these quick so we can get to here, and I'll read Ephesians 2. Uh, but first, somebody grab 1 Peter 2, verses 1 through 11. Because that, you got that, Rick? And then somebody go grab, who'll grab Romans chapter 9. You got that, Stephanie, verse 30 through 33. We'll grab Romans chapter 10, verse 11 through 13. You got that, Eric? Somebody grab Romans chapter 3, verse 27 through 31. You got that, Jeff? All right. So that this is the big question. I mean, the priesthood has clearly changed. The new covenant is doing away with the old covenant in the sense that we read in that language. So have we replaced Israel? Go ahead, 1 Peter 2, 1 through 11. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. Now that you have tasted that the Lord is good, and as you come to him, the living stone, rejected by men and chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are built, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in Scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious, but to those who do not believe, the stone is the builder's rejected the stone that the builders rejected has become the capstone and a stone that causes men to stumble and a rock that makes them fall they stumble because they disobey the message which is also what they were destined for but you are a chosen people a royal priesthood a holy nation a people belonging to God that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into this wonderful light once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires which war, which war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they, they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Now, there's a, there, oh, there's a whole lot in there, okay? I've got three things I want to point out, and you guys hang with me, all right? We want to finish so we can move on. So I'm going to keep you just a little bit longer, okay? But, man, there's, there's several things. One, we're living stones, right? And, and I've, made, I've, I've made this mistake in the past where I say you are the temple of God, right? Well, we are the temple of God. But yet, as the temple of God, because the Holy Spirit resides in us, we are you're a living stone. And, and as a living stone, 
what are you what are you being placed into? <laughs> right. This is one of these dichotomies, by the way, between Western thinking and Eastern thinking. We get stuck on the you, me, Charles Frank, I'm the temple of God. Right? Where the reality is, yeah, you are, except you're a living stone that's being put into the bigger temple of God. I'm not a brick on the wall with my name on it that I can draw people's attention to. I'm, I'm part of the building of the bigger structure, which is the body of Christ, the church that he knits together. Okay, It's us collectively together that make the whole temple of God that he resides in. We need each other. Okay, The, the, the second thing is, who is the stumbling? Who are the builders that stumbled? When the cornerstone, when they rejected it, who is that? It's Israel. It's, it, it's the people of Exodus 19, right? They were the builder. They were supposed to be who God called them to be so that the nations could see. They rejected. But then the third thing is they were destined to reject. Well, why? That means God knew beforehand. And led them to this place. Well, when we get into Romans, go read Romans 9, 30 through 33. What shall we say then, that Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained to righteousness, even the righteousness of faith? But Israel, pursuing the law of righteousness, has not attained to the law of righteousness. Why? Because they did not seek it by faith, but as it were, by the works of the law. For they stumbled at that stumbling stone, as it is written, Behold, I lay in Zion a stumbling stone and rock of offense, and whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. Man, they're stumbling. They got so focused on the law itself that they made it works, that we have to obey and do these exact things. Because after all, there's plenty of language that tells them, do what I'm telling you to do. But that same language the whole time was telling them, righteousness comes by what? faith. It started with it. It's always been about it. You can't understand and grasp and the, the concept of the law and what it's pointing to unless you do it by faith. It's not by works. But that faith is going to generate works because it changes who you are. Right? Romans 10, 11 through 13. For the scripture says everyone who believes in him will be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. Ooh, there's no distinction between Jew and Greek. In other words, Greek meaning, even though it was talking about Greeks, it was using that to mean the Gentiles. Go ahead. For the same Lord is same Lord, 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 Lord of all. Lord of all. Bestowing his riches on all who will call on him. On who? All. All. Everybody. Does that include the Jewish people? Absolutely. Absolutely. For everyone who calls on, on the name of the Lord. Will be saved. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. If this was his, go if this was what he determined before the foundation of the world, that applied to the Israelite too. Still does. Mm -hmm. Has never changed. Right? <laughs> Romans three twenty-seven through thirty-one. Where then is boasting? It is exalted. By what kind of law? By one of works. No one con contrary by the law of faith. For we concluded that the man justified by faith apart from the works of the law, or is the God for Jews only? He is not also for Gentiles. Yes, for Gentiles too. Since there is one God who will justify the circum circumcised by faith and uncircumcised through faith, do we then cancel the law through faith? 
Absolutely not. Absolutely not. On the contrary, on the contrary, we uphold the law. Man, it's always been by faith for the circumcised, the Jew, and the uncircumcised, the Gentile. It's always been about faith. It's still about faith, and it still applies for all those who will believe. All of them. Is that is the stuff we were talking about about the priesthood? Has it changed? Absolutely. Did it replace? Is this replacement theology? Does it mean all of the Israelites are going to hell in a handbasket because they rejected? And it was predetermined, it was destined, because now we get into Calvinism and how Calvinists interpret that the Jews, man, they're, they're burning in hell. And, 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 and all of that goes to what started taking place within the Protestant church in the 4th century. These are exactly the things in the thinking that caused us to react in certain ways. When I say us, I mean the church. And reject the Israelite. Well, then what makes us any different in our new priesthood than the Israelite in Exodus chapter 19 who was supposed to be light and salt to the nations? Nothing. If we buy into all that, nothing. We're no different. So there must be something else. And the reason that Paul said, man, why, you know, I want my brothers to know Jesus. I'm paraphrasing like mad. Okay? <laughs> Ephesians 2, 11 through 22, listen. Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision. Okay? By what is called the circumcision. So the Jewish people which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ. The Jew wasn't, right? Separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth. Are you hearing this language? At that time, you were alienated from the commonwealth, the nation, the kingdom of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of the promise. Who had those covenants? The Jews. And we were alienated from them. What is this implying when we become believers in Christ Jesus? Does it imply that we're replacing? Or does it reply that we're becoming part of? <laughs> Man, we're being grafted in. Strangers to the covenants of promise having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both. Who? He's made us both one and has broken down in the flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Okay, some people interpret that to think this means the, the divide between you and God. Is that true? Yes, that's true. But there's another aspect to this. The dividing wall between the kingdom of Israel, the, the, the cultivated olive branch, and the wild. Okay, That wall of hostility has been knocked down by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the what? Of the two. So making peace and might reconcile us both 
might reconcile us both to God in one body through the what? Cross. Thereby killing the hostility. And he came and he preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. Who were the ones who were near? The Israelite. He went to the Jew first and then came to the Gentile nations through Paul and his spirit. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together, the individual living stones being joined together, the body of Christ being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Amen. Amen. Lord, we thank you, Father, for who you are. I pray that this was a lot of verses. And Lord, bring us to one place that we're your children, Jew and Gentile, who believe in you, Lord Jesus, in the cornerstone, that we're brothers and sisters, that we didn't replace anybody, that you've brought us together. You've taken away the division. And for those who believe that we're brought together as your children, as your priesthood, your royal priesthood, and we thank you for that. And Lord, we just give all this to you and lift it up in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Amen.